Good morning, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ at Monty. I, it is my privilege to share the word of God with you this morning. And uh, I pray that, well, let's pray now. Father, the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Father, I pray you be with me as I unfold your word today and help us all to just hear from you and uh, be challenged by your spirit and uh, live lives that are closer in accordance with your will as a result. We commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 48. I've called the chapter Perfect Peace Through Genuine Faith, though there's a lot more to it than just that. I've broken it down to four parts. There's the Lord's rebuke of the nation of Israel for their insincere faith, their lip service. He reminds them of his revelation that he alone can foretell the future, uh, not some dumb idol that they sort of cling to. He expresses his regret that it should come to the point that uh, Israel's now on the verge of being taken into captivity. And yet, despite all this, the trouble is heading their way. There's still the promise of redemption. Our God is an amazing God, and it's true for us, isn't it? You know, we uh, stupidly go astray. We stupidly waste time doing this and that, getting tangled in civilian pursuits. And yet the Lord, in his grace, still chooses to uh, call us his own. It's wonderful. So these are references all from Isaiah 48, uh, with cross-references coming, of course. Verse 1, hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who come, came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel. Oh, it sounds so wonderful. He's really building them up, isn't he? And yet the final line of that verse, but not in truth or right. It's just lip service. Jesus said a similar thing in John 4, 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is not stupid. He doesn't just listen to what comes out of my mouth. He sees my heart. He sees your heart. And he can see that they were not being genuine in their worship. I've labelled this heritage schmeritage. Verse 2, for they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. You know, they've got all the, the background. They're thoroughbreds in their own eyes, in the sight of God. And I thought about that. It's like those who say, I'm Catholic or I'm Greek Orthodox. That's what I was brought up as being. All of my ancestors were, and I was born into it, baptized as a baby. Of course, I'm one of God's chosen people. And they think they've ticked the boxes. They have no problem with God. God should have no problem with them. That's the way the nation of Israel was thinking at the time. And now they think, well, my insurance is all paid up. And my comment is, as if God could be so easily bought off or satisfied. No, God has no grandchildren. He has no nephews and nieces. We're either his child or we're not. And uh, so, again, they had the right talk, but the walk did not match the talk. And uh, 
God could see that. Verse 4, he says, Because I know that you are obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, your forehead, brass. Now they were stubborn as heck. Nothing can get through their thick skull, or perhaps I should say their thick hearts. And it made me think, well, a similar uh, thing was said back in Isaiah 29. And this will sound familiar because Jesus quoted it in Matthew 15. And the Lord said, because this people draws near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment of men, learned by rote. I learned the Lord's Prayer when I was in about grade four. And I could say it, I could say the prayer, but I wasn't exactly praying, was I? Because as uh, the king said in Hamlet, words without thoughts do not to heaven reach. I mean, God isn't stupid. Now, he, we can't fool him. I mean, I can fool you, we can fool each other, but we can't fool God. He knows. And so Israel is saying all the right things, and yet God said, nah, I've had it. I'm sick of you. Moses and Joshua both predicted this period of exile. Moses said in Deuteronomy 28, when he pronounced the judgments of disobedience, remember, if you obey the law, I will bless you. If you disobey, hear the curses. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar. And he spells out the details. He doesn't mention Babylon by name, but you read it in the context. It's clear God says, I know, or Moses says it, I know. You're saying all the right things now. Yes, Moses will obey, but uh, you people are not going to hack it, stay on track with God. A generation later, Joshua said the same thing at the end of his reign of Israel. Choose this day whom you will serve. He said, as for me and my house will serve the Lord. And they all answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and to serve other gods. And Joshua says, okay, I'll take your word for it. Now he said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. God will bless you, yeah. But if you continue to well, worship other gods, and we know that Israel had a real track record of doing that, the term syncretism, or I can worship God and Baal, or and Molech, or and anybody else, the gods of the peoples around us. And uh, God says, no, you, you can't do that. that you know, when uh, Mount Carmel, Elijah said, how long will you keep limping to the people between the Lord and Baal? Choose today whom you will serve. And the show goes on. They say, oh, the Lord, the Lord. But limping between two opinions. Israel's propensity to idolatry from the very beginning. Does this picture look familiar? Well, it's just a picture, but... On the day that Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments and the two tablets, what had the people gotten up to? You recall what happened? When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, 
the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And Aaron did not say, Don't be stupid, it's the Lord who brought you out. Aaron said, Okay, take off the rings of gold which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a molten calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And they had a party. They danced. They basically had an orgy uh, before this uh, molten graven image. Remember when Moses came back, Aaron said, oh, well, the iron fell in the fire and it just came out like this. I mean, like, wow, God is patient, this great high priest. Anyway, enough said. They had this propensity, didn't they, to idolatry. They deceived gods. When Israel broke off from Judah, the north of ten tribes, they made at, at, um, Dan and the other place, Bethel, golden calves to worship. Instead of the Lord their God. Do we have idols? God knew their black little hearts. They had been that way from the beginning. Yet, he said in verse 8, For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously. He often called Israel uh, a harlot, a, a faithless wife. And that from before birth you were called a rebel. But his amazing grace, I put that in. Verse 9, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. Restrain my anger, that I may not cut you off. So God is saying, I have had it with you. I want to wipe you out. But you know what? It's my reputation that's at stake. And uh, I will not let that happen. Uh, in fact, it reminded me of a passage uh, in Deuteronomy when the people of Israel had rebelled in the wilderness and Moses intercedes. God says, I'll tell you what, Moses, I'll wipe them all out. We'll start afresh. You will be the father of Israel. They'll call themselves descendants of Moses. And Moses says, oh, no. Remember thy servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin. Lest the land from which thou didst bring us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he promised them. And because he hated them, he has brought them out to slay them in the wilderness. God was saying, Moses was saying, what will the Egyptians say when they hear they're all dead in the desert? They'll say, ah, no, this God of Israel no great shakes. He has no power at all. In fact, he, he's so angry with his people, he's destroyed them. So Moses appealed to the Lord to consider his own glory, his own reputation. And he stood in the breach and he, um, he avoided, he turned away God's wrath from Israel. But I tell you, that whole generation died in the desert, didn't they? Because of their refusal to obey and to trust. Now, the Lord goes on, in light of this temptation, their weakness with idolatry, uh, God says, only I know the future. Only I can reveal the future. 
and he says, the former things I declared of old, in verse 3, chapter 48, they went out from my mouth and I announced them, then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. You know by now that Isaiah was there when uh, Babylon was at the doorstep about to take uh, Judah into exile. I declare them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you. Lest you should say, my idol did them, my carved image, and my metal image commanded them. You know, they were so obtuse that they would take glory away from God and give it to these stupid idols that they embraced. I'm thinking of Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have committed two evils, says the Lord. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns. They can hold no water. These people were really uh, making bad choices. I want to think about this for a minute. Only God knows the future. I'm going to give a recent example where everybody wondered what the result would be. There it is. It's a grand old flag. How would you feel if I told you I predicted that Melbourne would win weeks in advance? More than that, I even graphed out how Melbourne would take the lead in the first quarter, Footscray or Bulldogs would fight back, and halfway through the third quarter would be 19 points up, and then Melbourne would kick the next 16 goals to one. Do you believe me? Oh, I'm sure I drew that weeks ago. Weeks and weeks ago. You don't believe me. Of course you don't. The old song came to mind. Hey, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. The next line, the future's not mine to see. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's not anybody's. If we could see the future, there'll be no such thing as a gambling industry. No more Ned's ads or Ladbrokes. I say Lad's broke. There we go. There'd be no gambling industry. There'd be no insurance industry if you knew the future. No, we do not know the future. And, you know, that's why a lot of modern scholars say, oh, there are two or three authors of the book of Isaiah. Because of the level of detail he gives, uh, naming Cyrus, uh, a king of Persia, that would too many predictions, obviously, logically speaking, from my pathetic human perspective, this could only have been written after the event. Well, I don't buy it. Because look at what God says in this very chapter. What God says in this very chapter. He reveals it to He reveals it so that we may know. I told you this would happen, the Lord said. Verse 40, chapter 46, verse 10, a couple of chapters earlier, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. The Lord is timeless. He knows the end from the beginning. And thank God someone's driving the bus in our world and that's the Lord God, our God. God could predict the winner of the next 20 AFL Grand Finals. Do you believe that? He can not only tell you which team will win, he will tell you the winning margins. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. So God foretelling uh, the uh, coming out of exile from Babylon, the Persians destroying them, you know, that's no big deal for God. So I don't buy that there are two or three Isaiahs. I believe there's only one.
Jesus said a similar thing. I tell you this now in John chapter 13 on the last night, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. I'm telling you guys, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to raise again on the third day. I'm telling you, so ladies say, hey, the Lord told us that. Wow, he knew all the time. Our God knows ahead of time. He has revealed his truth to us as much as we need to know. So God said, I'm going to show you something new. Uh, Let's see what he says here. He wasn't now referring to just what Moses and Joshua had said. Verse 14, assemble all of you and listen. Who among them has declared these things? Your idols. The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. Is God talking about himself? I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his way. It begs the question, doesn't it? Who is he? Maybe you talked about this a few weeks ago. Chapter 45. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, king of Persia, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him, that gates may not be closed. I have stirred him up in righteousness and I will make all his ways level. Yes, he will wipe out the great Babylonian empire. He shall rebuild my city, Jerusalem, and set my exiles free from Babylonian captivity. Not for price or reward, for free, says the Lord of hosts. He will send my people back to Jerusalem. What a message. Here we are, the Babylonians are at our doorstep. They're about to wipe us out and we haven't got a hope against them. And we know that Jeremiah prophesied 70 years, which Daniel picked up on later and said, oh, the end of the captivity will come. So God said, I'll punish you for a period and then I will restore you. Now he's saying, here's how I'm going to do it and who I will use to achieve that. What great words of Comfort. It's not the end. It's not the end. This reminds me of the story of Habakkuk. Uh, maybe you're familiar with it. But in chapter 1, the complaining prophet, and he was a, a, the same period as Isaiah, the same setting with Babylon about to invade. Chapter 1, Lord, what are you doing? He says. He looks around at the situation and he worries. Chapter 2, God reveals himself. It says, God will punish Judah through Babylon. Mm -hmm. I'm the one who's sending Babylon. But he will then punish Babylon and restore Israel. The last verse of chapter 2. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Worship. So chapter 2, I summarize, look up, Habakkuk, and worship. In the midst of all the chaos that's going on around you, trust me. Chapter 3, Habakkuk praises the Lord. He looks forward and he trusts. Though the fig tree does not blossom, there be no fruit in the vine, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. 
Habakkuk says, God, what's going on? I don't get it. You know, how can this be? They're worse than us. We're bad, but they're worse. Uh, instead, God says, um, no, yes, they're coming. They will punish you. But those who live by faith will continue by faith, and I will restore you. And so he says, God, I trust you. That's the story of Habakkuk, and that's the setting of what's happening here in Isaiah 48. 48. God's lament at their predicament. You sort of think God say, well, I told you, you've done wrong, tough. You're going to get what's coming to you. Listen to his heartbeat. Verse, again, 48, verse 17. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Remember, Babylon marching down the street. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Had paid. I wish you had paid attention. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. But no, you look around you and what you have is trouble and it's coming fast. It breaks God's heart that his children disobey him. It amazes me. I mean, one of the first verses my little boys memorize is, children, obey your parents, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And I thought, my even my behavior can please the God of the universe, or it could not please him. And God was not pleased that he was forced by their stubborn rebellion, to have to come to this point where captivity was a necessary punishment to purge Israel of their sin. Peace like a river. I love that expression. Not peace like a little cup of water, but a river flowing long and strong. That's what they forfeited. And I thought of another couple of references within Isaiah. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in you. I love that verse. In the midst of life's trials, when the temptation is to look at the wind and the waves like Peter on the water and worry and sink, keep your eyes on Jesus, trust him, and you'll stay above the circumstances. They could have had perfect peace if they trusted him. Isaiah 32:17, and the effect of righteousness is peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. If I do what's right, my conscience is clear. The Lord is happy with me. I'm in a good place and space. I have peace. But when I stray from righteousness and do what's wrong, my conscience is bugging me. The Spirit of God is convicting me. I'm, I'm, I'm grieving him. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I have no peace. They could have continued in faith, in obedience, in righteous living, and God would have kept the nation of Israel as blessed as they were under the reign of King David. And initially Solomon. But what happened? Solomon went off track and all of Israel's history uh, was going down the tubes quick smart, generation by generation. So God makes them a promise. This is still Isaiah 48. Go out from Babylon. 
flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it. Send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. Past tense, as if it's good as done. Well, it's not done yet, but it's as good as done because God said it. The promise was, yes, you're going to exile and you're getting what you deserve and you'll know it, you'll repent, you'll turn back to the book, you'll turn back to me and then I will bring you back and restore you back to Jerusalem and we know the story afterwards. They rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple and start again. But it's not for all of you. At the end of uh, this Chapter uh, 48, verse 22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. For those of Israel who refuse to acknowledge the Lord, there will be no peace. They'll go to Babylon and they'll die, even if they get that far. As we saw, peace comes from trusting God, even though the road is bumpy. Uh, peace and righteousness. Look at this. The way of peace they do not know, Isaiah 59. And there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. So brothers and sisters, if you want peace in your hearts, the key is trust God. Stay on the straight paths. Obedience, righteousness. Well, the same is true today. This, of course, made me think of our current situation with the COVID lockdown. And we can worry about the future, the roadmap, when's life ever going to get back to normal again? Will I catch it? Are we afraid of catching COVID? Well, I go back to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, he whose soul is not upright in him shall fail. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Trust God and he will protect us and keep us. So what have we seen this morning? Israel Israel being rebuked because of their lip service to the Lord. And he was sick of it. He'd had it. There are probably periods in my life as a Christian when I've yeah, said the right things, done the right things, but my heart was far from me. And I've walked in uh, stretches of disobedience. And there's rebuke. And God sees my heart and he promises to deal with me and deal with you to get you back in track with him. The reminder of revelation that God knows the future and uh, he's... I know not what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I, if I had a dollar for every time I said that, I'd be a very wealthy man. Because that's one of my anchors, if you will, of hope and faith. That God is in control. I trust him. My life is in good hands. I don't have to worry. We saw that God's regret. Yes, thy rod and thy staff, ouch, they comfort me. When I need, as his sheep, to be brought back in a line, He'll do what he needs to do because he loves me. He takes no pleasure in punishing me or punishing you, but he does it to bring us back 
but it breaks his heart like any parent would be disappointed if their children were doing the wrong thing. And there's this promise of redemption. No matter where you're at today, my brother, my sister, God promises that he will not only save us for eternity if we have Christ in our hearts, but uh, even from today's and this life's stresses, he promises deliverance. Well, I've stuck mostly in the Old Testament, but here's a verse, one of my favourite verses. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, you're probably familiar with it. Do not be anxious about anything, anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, you have this privilege of access to the throne of grace. Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I remember when I memorized that verse, I was a young Christian. I was walking into the exam at Melbourne University and my best friend said, what right do you have to smile? It's a general maths exam. We both struggled with the subject. I was smiling because I've been reflecting on this verse that I just memorized. The peace of God which passes all understanding. By the grace of God, I pass general maths. Final comment. Trust and obey where there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Father, we thank you that we know you're a sovereign God and just as you're in control of what was happening in the chaotic times there of uh, Isaiah, Israel about going to captivity, so too, Lord, you're in control of today's crazy world. Uh, We trust you. We'll hang in there with you and expect you to deliver us out of this evil times. Father, deliver deliver us from evil. Help us to uh, stay faithful to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters. God bless you.